You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. I mean, you have to admit what Tyler just sung about, what he was talking about. If you're a Christian, you've got to get somewhat excited about that. I mean, it's, I mean, think about it, okay? Jesus spends all that time uh, walking the earth, resisting sin, lives this perfect life, and then it's almost like you get down to the last ten seconds and the devil just knocks him out, right? And it's just like, oh my gosh, game over. And then all of a sudden, like in the last four seconds, Jesus comes back to life, right? I mean, if you don't get excited about that, I don't know where your mind goes. But if you don't get excited about that, it's there's something wrong with you, okay? Yeah. Like I said, there's something wrong with you. But anyway, I just, I, I love that. Um, anyway, a couple quick things before I jump right into this. Um, Remember, this coming Friday, we're doing the tailgate party here, okay? So yeah, come hang out with us. Um, then we'll go over those that would like to. would encourage you, or after we do the tailgate party at 5.30 this coming Friday, um, then we'll take off, and those that would like to will go over to the football game and cheer on the Granger Grizzlies in their homecoming game, and so uh, join us for that. But uh, also today from 2 to 3.30, uh, is visitation for, we're doing, uh, Bob Walden, Sandy's husband, his memorial service here today. And so we'll do that two to three thirties visitation and three thirty we'll do a, the service here today. So, um, please come and support Sandy and, and be here with us. Uh, Bryce Justice and Steve Walker will both be here with me and we'll be, um, sharing about Bob's life and, and about, and about the Lord and how he, how all that plays in together. And so, uh, please be here this this afternoon if you can. Um, but it's been an amazing week. It's been an incredible week. Uh, how I mean, the, how about those? If you got to be around here, here's something you got to volunteer for. We've been doing this like 16 years, I think, maybe longer. Uh, the Granger County Crusade services. We did that this week and spent two days with the middle schoolers, a couple hundred of them, Monday and Tuesday. And Tyler led music, and Tony Day played, and David played drums, and um, had a great time with those guys. Dustin Dalton from Barnes Grove spoke there, and then two days of high school kids actually walking over and being in here, and 325, 350 high schoolers, we had to take all these chairs out, put rugs on the floor, and it's packed in in here. I should have thrown a picture up there for you this morning, but um, it's it's full. When there's 325, 350 kids in here, it is full, wall-to-wall teenagers, okay? Um, hormones and all. It's crazy, okay, in here. And so uh, half a dozen kids' lives changed by the gospel and by Jesus, and it's just an incredible week. David spoke to the high schoolers, and it, he did a great job. Um, and Wednesday night, we had a youth service here and invited other churches to come. Had about 80 kids here that night. And then Friday night, David pulls off a fifth quarter deal 
uh, out here in the parking lot. So this week has been just packed full of ministry to the next generation, to teenagers. And and what, I mean, I just, as as a former youth pastor and starting this church so we could reach our next generation, that just excites me as much as anything too, is to know that's the kind of church this is and what we're doing here. And so those of you um, who serve here and give and support the mission of the church, I just want to say thanks up front too and for the prayers and encouragement, which is priceless uh, to me. So thank you. I just, I love this church. And God has used this church to do great things in this community and around the world. And there are great things ahead of us. What what God has done through this church in the past 14 years impacted and made change in our community. Um, I, I love, you know, Stacy talking about that passion he had to see things change in our churches in this community where we have no more of that walk an aisle, pray a prayer, then life doesn't really change. It's just I've got my ticket to heaven for that whole idea of um, of just a IQ test, heaven or hell, we'll pray this prayer and you're okay, but then life never really changes. Uh, to get rid of that whole deal is something he longs to see. And this church has, that wasn't talked about 10 years ago. It wasn't talked about um, in, the, in this community and other places, this idea of uh, not saying this is something new. If you want to read the book, read The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. Awesome book. It's, it's what kind of got us going on, on some of the thoughts and how we started this church. Because uh, all it is is looking at the Bible and saying, what did Jesus say? Uh, the gospel is in his words in the Bible. And, it, and it's absolutely phenomenal. But this whole thing of, and it shocks people when you say this, when you say, well, you know, it never says anywhere in the Bible to ask Jesus into your heart. That language is nowhere in there. Okay? It, it, and so the return to this just truth of the gospel, what Paul fought for, if you read Galatians, when we went through that series and Titus, that whole thing, this, this church, you guys have just embraced the Bible and, and what it really just says and it's and it's just been changing to this whole community that we really go out and serve and do like Jesus says. The, the level of commitment, the level of generosity, it has exceeded anything I've ever seen around here in the 14 years and it's nothing short of miraculous what, what God has done through this place. It's not me. I'm not giving you guys credit. I'm just saying God has done something really miraculous and supernatural. And I'm not trying to to belittle any place else in this community or any other church because I'm for every other church. I love that at the end of the crusade, uh, or that Wednesday night, um, all the youth pastors and people who work with youth from other churches, I put them up here and I said, we're not in competition. If you live in an area where these guys are, you're not going to church. You go to one of these churches and and please be a part of what's going on there. They'll. I just want one of those kids to know who they were, connect with them, and get involved. And it's not about TCAR. It's about the kingdom and what God's doing in our community. And, and I just love the attitude and what God has done through TCAR. has been amazing. And, but the thing is, and this is where, where we started last week and where we are this morning, is when you step up to do great things for God, there's an enemy who steps up, steps up and tries to do uh, opposite and equal reaction against you. Okay? 
there's that re resistance that comes against you. And we have seen it here. And I want us to be alert and prepared for what's next so that we're wiser and able to stand together stronger than ever. Second Corinthians, we looked at last week, 2.11 says, so that Satan would not have an advantage over us, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And that word schemes, or you could take that to the word, or literally what it is, is methods. Okay, so last week was about who Satan is, what his method is, and how he seeks to destroy our lives. His method is, as we looked at, divide and conquer. Okay, it's it's he used it uh, in heaven when he separated a third of the angels from God and turned on God and convinced a third of the angels in heaven. He, he brought it to Adam and Eve in the garden and separated them from God and made a separation between them. And Satan's been using that tactic ever since he used it in heaven, and he's still doing it today. And that should be, kind of, you know, I talked about this last week, and it still is for me. It should be like a head-exploding thought to you as it, as it was for me that Lucifer standing in heaven could convince a third of the angels, you're standing there looking at a perfect God in a perfect place, and, you, and you're able to convince a third of the angels looking at this God, who, and those, a God who they know knows their every thought, but yet thought they could outthink God. I mean, that's just, I still can't. I sit around going, how do you do that? How do you do that? But then you get to the place where you go, we kind of do that all the time. You know? I know better than what the Bible says. I know better than what God thinks. I don't. He doesn't know how things should be, really. And it's just the enemy putting that stuff in your head. It's our sin nature just, just causing us to rebel against God. And not only did it hurt God that Lucifer himself turned on him, but to think of the hurt of a third of his people, a third of his angels, Turning against him and being separated from him, so we got to we can't be ignorant of the devil's methods, his schemes. Satan literally means adversary. Okay, he is the enemy, not me, not you, not anybody else. It's Satan. Okay, there, we we have there's there's basically three enemies we got to watch out for. The Bible talks about the world. Uh, if you're a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. We can't be a we're we're not of this world. We're in it, but not of it. It's a it's we got to be careful of the world can play against us. We got to be careful of our own flesh, our sin nature, and we got to be careful of uh, Satan as our enemy. And that's who what we're talking about right now. It's Satan. He loses that beautiful name Lucifer, the morning star, and becomes Satan, the adversary, the devil. Devil means slanderer or one who gets between and divides. Okay? See, Satan is against what God is doing because God is all about bringing people and himself together and us together. So everything God does, Satan opposes. So what's the primary objective of God right now? What If we could ask Jesus, what's, what, what's going on on the earth that, that right now that, that God's, what's God doing? Okay? He's reconciling us to himself. And building his church. That's what he says in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, which means little rock. There's 
we talked about that once before, Petra and Petros, okay? Not like the chili with uh, chips and stuff, okay? But it's but that Peter is he's talking about you are this little rock, but and upon this rock, talking about Jesus, the big rock, the cornerstone, as referred to later, I will build my church on this rock of Jesus. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It's interesting that he would say that that the power, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He's referring. He's saying Satan's been doing this since heaven. He's going to try to do it while I'm building my church. And it's the same method he used there he's going to use in the church. Okay? He, God is building His church, preparing His bride for Jesus. He has entrusted us, those who are Christians, with the message, with the good news of Jesus. And we're the vehicle that He's using to deliver that message to the world. It's the church. And so God is wanting to build His church and Satan opposes us opposes it and wants us not to come together, not to be unified, not for us to do great things, but to divide us and make us weaker. Now, he won't and can't win, but he can hinder and cause pain and problems and try to take you out of the deal, okay? But in the end, we know who wins, right? Even if it's in the last four seconds, we know who wins. So guess what? The greater the work God wants to do, the greater the opposition. You look at verses like when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16.9, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me. Remember he talked about before how he was praying for a door to be opened that he could share the gospel. Okay, For a wide door for effective service has been opened to me. But what's, the, what's, the, what's he say in light of that? For there, And there are many... He uses the word many. Adversaries. There's there's a lot of resistance coming against that. Okay? And here comes the surprising part, right? Satan can deceive and use very good people in this battle to, to accomplish what he's trying to do. People we love. People that um, just get deceived. He can deceive a person who is doing good cause them to get off track, focus on the wrong thing, and he becomes a very the very person or she that will be used to divide people. You read Acts 15, uh, 36-40, you can look right in there, and it's talking about Paul and Barnabas. And if you know that story and what happened with them, two great people, good guys, both of them wanting people to know Christ, right? Two great people, and they divide over a decision whether or not to do to take a guy with them. Right? To take John Mark or not take him with him. Paul wanted to, Barnabas didn't, and they they argue over it. You know what they we end up doing? Barnabas goes off and takes John with him and Paul's he gathered up somebody else that came with him. Anybody remember who it was? He took uh Silas, yeah, he took Silas with him, right? So they're like, Fine, you go that way, I'll take somebody else with me and you take him with you. And they divided. They, you know, they were going to go do something together, and they divide over that. They part ways. Not a biblical issue. Just difference in opinion, and it seems it, it gets between them and separates them. So we have to be careful that we don't end up being that person, okay? Because as we'll see in a moment, the issue is unity, not whether or not somebody should go with us or not go with us, or what color the walls should be painted, or. Uh, whether there should be chairs over there this morning or not, it's one of those things of it's okay. 
right? It, it's it's whether not whether we should or shouldn't have coffee where it should be placed or how certain events should go. Should we eat in here? Not eat in here? I mean, people get so tore up up over like stuff in churches, and you're just like, it's it's not the issue. If you get into that book I referred to, to a house united by Francis Frangipane. The, the, the second chapter is awesome. It's just it's entitled "The Issue Is Not the Issue." We make things that aren't the issue the issue, and it shouldn't divide us. But it's, it, but it so often does. The issue isn't really often what we think it is. Jesus is clear about the issue, as we will see. I, I mean, think about Judas himself, right? Do, do you realize? Because we paint this picture of Judas was a terrible guy, right? I mean, look what he did to Jesus. He must have been evil the whole time. I mean, he just, how'd he get into that group of guys? How in the world did he become that in that group of guys? You know, and you guys know what Judas did in that group, what he was to the disciples in that group of people. What was his task he was given? He was the treasurer. Now, do you let the guy that's evil that snuck in be the treasurer? Amen. Yeah. It's like, no, right? You don't do that. Okay. That's not the way it works. I mean, he was trusted and as loyal and 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 they thought as honest as 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 much as anybody in that group, right? I mean, think about it, Judah. And you think about that group. Why not let Matthew handle the money? Hello, right? What did he do before? Okay. So Judas was was the good guy. He's the guy coming in. Everybody's thinking good things about him. Hey, listen, hey, we're not giving the money to him. They give the money to him. Right? Okay? He was trusted. He was a guy, he was not a bad guy, per se. Well, they wouldn't have put him in charge of that because up until that certain point when, when, when he betrayed Jesus, he was probably the most trusted of the group, but then he's the one used to do what he did. A really good guy who served and had been honest and Satan deceived him played into his weaknesses. And we got to be careful. Even good people can be used if they aren't keeping their guard up. Myself, any of us. He wants he, Satan wants us to be isolated and deceived and ignorant. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that the Satan, the little g-god of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He has this he, he has this way of, of blinding people. He has this way of, if you're a Christian, causing you to lose focus. And he wants you to be afraid and discouraged and defeated. That's what he's trying to do. And if, if that is you, then Satan is winning over you and you need to declare that old hymn right now, Victory in Jesus, okay? Kicking back some of my Baptist roots, okay? But I'm very serious. Stop letting the devil talk you into this defeated mentality. Deceiving you and keeping you down. God has a plan for you and you don't want to miss it. Okay? And if none of that works, if He can't, if he can't cause us to be afraid and discouraged and defeated, if He can't keep us down, Satan will even use the fact that He'll lift us up. Hey, if that don't work, we'll go this way. We'll we'll go. Let's let's play on that pride. Let's per, let's let's play on that that attitude and ego and 
And He will play on your desire for pleasure, the lust of the flesh. God can't satisfy me, really. So I have to seek out my own pleasure and do it my way. He won't ultimately fulfill me. It's this lust of the flesh. So Satan will play on that. Your desire for possessions, the lust of the eyes. God won't give me what I want, so I'm going to go out and get a loan and get it all myself and and just leverage myself into debt so far, but I'm going to get what I want, right? God doesn't know what's best for me. He doesn't know what's going to make me happy, and so I have to make my own way. And then there's that desire for power and prominence, that, that boastful pride of life. Just like Satan, we can get to thinking in our own minds, we should be in charge and want his place and miss out on what we were made for and what God has given us to do. Remember, the goal is separation from God and separation from each other. It's that John 10.10, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life, steal the life God made you for. And I'm just letting you know, you don't have to let him do that. Okay, you just turn to Jesus and trust him. He can satisfy you and bring you. I mean, people often think, and this is where we get so twisted. Sometimes we'll read things and go, oh, streets of gold and the pearly gates. And, oh, man, heaven's going to be great in the crystal sea. And he's prepared a mansion for me as though Ty Pennington's been there and did an extreme home makeover just for us. And that's going to be the great thing about heaven. I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I love when look. I heard Louis Giglio talk about it as though Ty's going to be standing there and, and it's going to be a move that bus moment, right? And there's the ha- and that's going to be the exciting thing about heaven. But, but we, we miss all that. We miss every bit of this when we focus on that stuff and not realize that's not the great thing about heaven. The great thing about heaven is Jesus is there. We get the, we get the face-to-face with God Himself and there's nothing better. The amount of high and pleasure and just fulfillment and identity and all those things wrapped up in Him in that moment, being with Him far outweigh anything we can ever experience on this earth or in heaven apart from that, from Him. I think we just sometimes lose focus of the fact that God really is that awesome and that good. Because we don't have it right in front of us right now. But if you're in, if you're in Christ, then, it, then it's in you. And that should well up. Just like it does on a Hail Mary pass when Tyler sings about He is risen, that inside of you should go, yes! <laughs> Sorry. I had a... I could, um, now I'll go ahead and say it. Um, I just, I'll just tell you the thought that went through my mind and you can do whatever you, I just, I, I just went to, uh, that thought can turn a Baptist Pentecostal, okay? I'm not saying that Baptist is wrong and bad or this is, you know what I'm saying, but there's just this whole idea of, it just does something to you, okay? It's not just hands in the pocket and, that's nice. You know? I was thinking about this during the crusade. I'm going to share this thought with you. I was thinking about this during the crusade. Because during the middle school part, it was like after every 
at, at the end of both services, it's like all the kids emptied the seats and they came down to the stage and just started praying. And I thought, and, and we're, you know, I'm one of those guys that's like, oh man, it's not about walking out praying prayer. I want to know how many of these kids' lives got changed. Are they, are they really, did they get it? Or is this just a big emotional moment where it was an IQ test kind of thing, you know? But I got to thinking about it later because I remember that what I came out of myself and, and, and being at Barnes Grove, being at Blue Springs and, and coming through even back when I was in Kentucky and going through being a part of the Methodist church and, and, and the Baptist circle as well. And 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 I and I it clicked with me. I don't. I'm just. I'm way off track this morning. Okay, but it clicked with me that I can remember myself, like being in a church where you don't even stand up to sing. You don't. Um, you definitely don't raise your hand. You don't. You don't even do a half, a one hander or or half position or any. You just. You just don't do that. Okay. And and I remember being in that environment, and at the end of is Elizabeth Grisham in here? It's in the back. Okay, but I remember her mother Bell would she was up front every Sunday and talking about how good Jesus was at the end of the service. Okay, and I got to where well, there, Leona, you know what I'm talking about, right? And at the end of every service, like the only expression of praise in that environment was going down front. At the end, like the what you you didn't have anything else. It was like sit still, but it's okay to go do that. So that started coming out of me, and I would I would be the guy. That, I was one of those that was down front every Sunday, you know, because I just I had to do. I was just like I got to do something. Like I just want to show my affection for Christ. And so to be in that environment, and then go to an environment where, like at Blue Springs. Uh, and I, and I remember this one particular guy, he, he was a Tony Day. I mean, you get talking about the right thing, and then the, Tony's very suppressed in here, I just want you to know. But in the, in the midst of a service, if you talked about the right thing, this guy would just stand up and just, I don't know how to, I can't even do it, okay? But he would Ric Flair right there in the middle of the service, okay? And that's just like that, Okay. But it would be five times as loud, and and everybody in the service would jump like that, like you just be like, oh my gosh, you know. But it was, but I loved it, okay. And I'm not, I'm not advocating. I don't know, but I'm just saying there's, I, I think there's there's something that just comes out of you. And I remember being in that environment, and it was the first time I ever raised my hand in worship. And it, and there was a lady in front of me. She she did that all the time, and. Uh, I'd, and and you got, you got you got to be able to have that and have that freedom to do that, and so I'm thinking about those like the services around here and things you go to, and I'm like maybe I don't need to be as critical about the coming down front and doing that, and I watched those kids and I thought you know what they're in an environment that that's all they're allowed to do, it's all they they're given to express their affection for Christ, they they don't they they aren't given anything else, so. It, you know, I got to where I was like, I appreciated that that coming down front and that those kids, I mean, that Wednesday night we were in here, there was some that came down over here. And I think it can get too emotional and more emotional than than praise and, and, and we get to loving the emotion of it rather than staying in love with Jesus. I think that can happen. But I, 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 had a, I developed kind of a little bit of appreciation for it. It's, it's all they know. Okay, so sorry to get off track on that, but it's just um, 
I think when we're in love with Christ, there's, there's, and I'm not, I'm not, and that's what I love about our church, okay? Is where you're at's where you're at. It's called authenticity in our church. If, if you're not ready for that and, and you're just, it's in there, but it's not come out yet, hey, that's great. That's fine. Nobody's going to criticize you. If, if you lift a hand, nobody's going to criticize you, okay? Please don't scare anybody, okay? That's all I get. You know what I'm saying? I want us to have an environment where nobody's freaking out. I just don't like it when it goes so far that we're taking the attention off Jesus and putting it on ourselves. Okay, that's where I'm like, well, let's be careful, okay? When I'm distracting other people. But if I'm, if I'm loving Christ and I'm having my, I don't mean to do a sermon on the theology of expressive praise to Jesus, okay? I'm not trying to do that. But it's just, anyway, I don't even know where I got off track on that with now. So anyway, um, God, Satan wants to steal from you. And I think that's the way he does it too, is he suppresses our, our, we're afraid to worship Jesus kind of thing. But he wants to separate, Satan wants to separate you from what God's trying to do in your life. Um, God, what God is trying to do is bring you into the family of God and get you into a church where you can grow. Okay? Trying to get us to work together to bring the good news. See, Satan, I just, Satan may be using what I just talked about in that whole thing about worship to make you think, well, I don't know if I agree with him and try to separate us. Try to separate you from this church because of how we think about raise a hand, don't raise a hand, stand on one foot, pat your head, or whatever you do. Okay? But God wants us to bring, wants to bring us together to take the message of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And we do much more effectively together than we do apart. And Jesus knew how important this would be. Okay? In fact, if, do you know, if you're a Christian, that Jesus prayed a specific prayer for you while he was still on this earth? Okay? This is after the Last Supper, before Judas betrays him, and he's arrested and crucified, before the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. Okay? And let's, I want to look at it as, as we kind of come to the last part of this. Look at John 17, and this is the focus for today. Probably my second favorite chapter in the Bible behind Philippians 2. I love Philippians 2. But John 17, I'm going to read you 1 through 24, and I may skip around a little bit. But I want us to read this because this is where Jesus prays. He prays, uh, starts off talking about himself and what he has with the Father. Then he prays for the disciples. And then he prays for all the Christians to come for you and me. And, and for the future of the church, okay? And there's a theme throughout this whole thing and one thing he focuses on, okay? And we got I want us to grasp this this morning, okay? John 17, 1 through 24, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may, be, may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you gave him, he may give eternal life. Okay, if you've been around here very long, uh, some of you probably been coming here since we started, or you've been here ten years or six years. You're like, I've got that verse memorized now, Marty, because you say it like every Sunday. Okay, but it's John seventeen three. Okay, what's eternal life? This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Wouldn't you love to stand before God and say that? Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had 
with you before the world was. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on the behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. This is where it starts getting really good, and you, you understand this. He's been talking about him and the Father, and what's been going on with him, and how, how God, what you give me, now I have gave to them, and here's these guys, and he says, in verse 11, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. Why? What's this whole thing about? And this is what you're going to read throughout this prayer. That they may be one even as we, Father and Son, Holy Spirit, are. That they may be one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Talking about Judas, okay? Then he goes on, verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. It's interesting that the, that he would put that in there and say, I, I want their joy, I want my joy to make, be made full in themselves, and yet the whole theme of this whole thing is about unity and being one. Okay, we think it comes through all kinds of other ways, but I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Interesting. He would go on to say that. Okay, because he knows hey, we're talking about being one. But here's what I know. Satan's going to come after you and he's going to try to break that up. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world. I have also sent them into the world for their sakes. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Okay, here's where he's going to start praying for you. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There again, unity. We talked about this before. The way we love each other is the validation of our proclamation. We talked about that before. That we may be one. Our unity, our togetherness is our validation of our proclamation of the gospel. Okay. The glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one. He keeps saying this. He keeps saying this. Just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. That's a, that's a stellar thought right there. So that they may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Chew on that for a while. Father, I desire that they may also whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the plan that he put in place before you were ever even born. And that was that we would be one together in unity. 
So reading that, I want to say this. We are like the Lord when we are bringing people together. The Bible says that we've been reconciled so that we could get into the reconciling people business. God reconciles us to Himself and then intends for us then to be these people who help reconcile other people to God and who reconcile people to us, to ourselves, whom we have issues with. Okay? We are His ambassadors in this world, the Bible says, as though God were making His appeal through us. And He is. We are like the Lord when we are bringing people together. On the other side of that, what's happening? We are like the enemy when we cause division. Period. The biggest way this plays out is when people start talking about each other instead of to each other. God's plan is that we talk to each other. Talking about each other is the enemy's plan. You see it over and over and over. You know, if you've been in church long, you've seen it. People leave a church. Okay, I've, I've talked with three or four different pastors in the last month who have experienced this repeatedly over the past year even. Okay? People who leave a church, they won't talk to the pastor, right? But they go talk to everybody else about him. And that's what the enemy does. You know, it's talked about in that book, A House United, and you see it here, this is what God wants to do in His Word, and it's how it works. It's, it's what people do. They get... The issue is not the issue, and they get on the issues that, that don't matter, but, but they just go around talking about it, and it, and it causes, it just causes people to back off. All it's doing is causing division. And, and the, you know, I talked about Rocky and the messages he did, um, the outlines I got from him, um, and, and it did, he, he did a whole talk actually on this, and I'm just going to hit it briefly here at the end, is, but it, it goes this way, okay? Um, if you put it in order of priority uh, of what Satan seeks to do in a church, when you think about what Lucifer did in heaven, when you think about what he's done throughout, you watch it throughout the Bible, what, what Satan seeks to do then in the church is separate the people from the pastor, okay? And Jesus is the head of the church. I'm in no way putting a pastor on the pedestal of being God or being Jesus or, or any of that stuff. He is our high priest, but, but He's appointed leaders. You know, you think about in battle, like if you watch an old Civil War movie or Cowboys and Indians or whatever battle you want to think of, okay? What happens, you know, whether it's the Romans or some barbarian movie or whatever you're watching, and this is typical of history, what happens when the sergeant or the leader of a platoon or or the, the leader of that group of guys fighting, what happens when he falls? They, they freak out, and what are we going to do now? And man, some guys retreat, and some guys stay, no, let's fight, and, and it's just, it's what do we do, right? Because it's an effective strategy, okay? So it's what Satan seeks to do in the church. He wants to separate people from the pastor. Hopefully, you could see the significance in this and how that cripples a congregation by simply doing this. Get you thinking something goofy about me or wrong about me or the, or the pastor of a church and you stop, you just kind of go, well, I'm just not going to be as involved anymore and 
And I, you know, I just, I don't know if I want to listen to the sermons anymore, or maybe I just don't even want to stay there anymore. And maybe I'll go talk to somebody else about it. And they start down it too. And maybe, man, maybe you're right. And maybe that's the way it is. And I, I don't know why they did that. And I'm not sure why they did that in the church. And yeah, the music was a little loud last week. And, you know, and it just goes on and on and on, right? And all that talk starts. And all it's doing is separating the people from the pastor of the church. And it's you being used to separate. And so all of a sudden, there's other people around you. They're not really growing either. And they're not really you know, involved that much either. And it's how Satan takes people out of churches. In order of priority, the second thing that, that Satan tries to do in a church is he tries to separate the people from the pastor. Y'all think I've just lost my mind, right? That's the way it works. Might use the pastor's own failure Right? Rehoboam's a good example of that. I'll throw out some examples in that, but I'm not, if you don't know what that is, here it is. Maybe it's something to write down. I'm going to go read that story and find it. Might use an influential, influential person's envy of, of the pastor and his position. Lucifer's a great example of that in Scripture. You can also read about Absalom in 2 Samuel. Okay? It's trying to use these, these people to separate people from the, from the pastor. So the, the third thing that Satan tries to do in order of priority in a church is separate people from the pastor. Okay, there's, there's a point here. You can read about Korah in the Bible. He tried to tell the people Moses was abusing his power. He tried to say his job is done, God's accomplished, the, the nation is holy and the Lord is with them. But the nation wasn't holy at that point. The Lord wasn't with them. All that wasn't complete. But yet Korah tried to present this deal as though he cared more about Israel and the people than Moses did. And so Moses needs to be replaced. He tried to paint a different picture than what was really going on and saying they needed a new leader appointed. Tried to, tried to make it seem like Moses was being prideful and selfish and make it look like he was domineering and just trying to... to to maintain control, that he wasn't concerned about the people. So it separated people from their leader. Okay. So the fourth thing in order of priority that Satan tries to do in, in the church is separate people from the pastor. Okay. You think about Jonathan Edwards. Anybody know who he is? What was he considered the father of what? Modern science? You may know. I know David knows. I know all the pre-service people know. Jonathan Edwards. Anybody? Father of the Great Awakening in England back in the 1700s. Okay? Considered the father of the Great Awakening that swept through New England at that time. Visitors filled his church like crazy. And it just blew up, okay? And then all of a sudden, the members were like, oh, all these new people. Gosh. And they started refusing to come to the church and eventually voted him out by majority rule. And even after they had voted him out, they spent a good portion of their life trying to aggressively ruin his reputation for the rest of his life. Number five thing that Satan tries to do. Anybody guess what that is? I bet you know. 
What is it? Bingo. Okay, got one person listening. That's good. Think about Charles Spurgeon. Okay, anybody know of Prince of Preachers, 1800s, 1834 to 1892 in England? Grew the church quickly. Frequently would preach to audiences of more than 10,000 people before electronic amplification. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. 10,000 people. Yet at the height of his ministry, he was voted out by a vote of 3,000 to 2. 3,000 were against him. Okay? Guess who seconded the motion in the business meeting to vote him out? It was the associate pastor who was his biological brother. You think Satan wasn't in play and all that? Number six thing Satan tries to do. We could keep going with the other, but I'm going to switch on you right here, okay? He tries to separate the people from each other. Conflict and division between people. Let's get the old people mad at the young people and the young people going, man, them old people, they don't understand. They don't know what's going on in this world. We want the music louder. We, it's gonna need to be softer. We need contemporary songs. We need hymns. We need, uh, I don't know. What, you know, it just gets, it gets people between all these new people coming in the church. All these people that's been here so long, they don't want to change and do anything. Right? Dying to self is caring more about God's church than I do getting my way. It was good. I reposted this on the on Facebook. It was a little video of Francis Shannon. I loved it. Um, and I've heard him talk about it in a conference before. I can't remember if I was at Catalyst or where it was or Passion Conference that I heard him talk about this. Um, but there's a video I put on there because he just talked about it in a Verge conference. But it's a video where he talks about obeying Christ. And this is about... It, it, it's He talked about and I thought about it because Tyler played Simon Says with was it with the middle schoolers? And you know, in the Simon Says game, if you watch that video, Francis talks about, you know, Simon Says, so Simon Says, put your hand on your head, you put your hand on your head. Simon Says, lift your right foot, pat your belly, you lift your, you know, you do whatever Simon Says, okay? But, but he says, well, what about what Jesus says? When Jesus says something, we just memorize it. We won't actually do it. He said, we memorize it. He said, like, if I tell my daughter to go clean her room and she comes back two hours later and says, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. Okay? And then she says, hey, some friends are coming over and we're going to do a study about what my room would look like if it was clean. Right? I mean, it's just an amazing thing. It's the way it is. Jesus can lay out and put us put in there for us exactly what we're supposed to do, enlighten us to how it's supposed to be. And what do we do? We go, oh, I got that memorized. Oh, we did a study on that. But then we don't do it. What about what Jesus prayed for us? I think if Jesus prayed for us to be one and get over ourselves and be together in this, I think it's pretty important. 
that we be one, I think, is a pretty important thing. So as we get into this week before next this coming Sunday, Tyler said it this morning pre-service, this stage is going to look different by the time we time you come back next Sunday. Okay? From that wall to that wall, it's going to look different. Okay? Not that that's the big deal. But we this is important to us. It's important that the vision God has given us, the mission He's given us as a church, that we all are on the same train, going the same direction, and that we are one. But listen, it's important that we be one. And so this is what I want to do this morning. If you need Christ, then you just need to turn to Jesus this morning. I, I, I have a hard time not telling people, hey, Jesus is always there for you and on a personal level. You can turn to Him. He died on the cross in your place for your sin that you could know Him and know God. This is eternal life that you know the only true God. And that, that word know it means more than I know your name and I know who He is and I've read about Him in the Bible. It's about a relationship with Him. But this is my call this morning to us, okay? Is that we pray what Jesus prayed. Is that this week, if you would join me in some form or fashion... I know the word fasting is not a popular thing these days, okay? And I know you got to check with your doctor and all that stuff. I don't want anybody to do anything that hurts your health. But if you would fast and pray at some point for this campaign that's coming up and for us to be one, for the unity of this church, for what God wants to do in the coming days ahead of us, because I believe it's amazing and He has set us up for something that's just going to blow our minds, and that we would all get in the game for what matters and be all in for what's next. So pray for unity and that we would go into this season with a passion for what God wants to do here. And I ask all of those of you who can to just seriously pray and fast and to pray for our awareness of Satan and what he's trying to do and we would be alert and ready to forgive each other, ready to protect our unity and protect what God's doing here instead of protecting our turf, protecting our opinions, protecting our way, that we would just yield to God and do this together. Would you do that with me? Well, let's pray this morning together. Father, You are so good to us. You often make things so clear that then we walk out of here and Satan fogs our minds, gets us focused on the wrong things. Satan comes to blind us and distract us and destroy us. We lean into You, Father, and ask You to to just bring Your angels around us, protect us, that You would help us in the spiritual battle that goes on. It's not flesh and blood. It's There's a real enemy. There is a roaring lion seeking, just roaming this earth seeking whom he can devour. He has his demons that he sends after us. He wants to plant things in our mind. The sin of our flesh just wants us to get off track. But Father, we ask You, would Your Holy Spirit, would You just push us toward You, toward one another, for unity and what you want done in this church, not what I want, 
what you want. May we die to ourselves and join you in building the church. We would be one as you and the Son are one. I don't know how that works, Father. Would you bring us as close to perfect unity as you, as, as Jesus prayed for? Would you push us to that? I don't know if that's possible, but it's what you—it's what He prayed for. Protect this flock, Father. You're gonna—you have to help me with that one. I believe I've done a poor job at that at times. It's the shepherd who has that charge. Thank you for the many years of great things you've done through this church. Having a front row seat to watch what you're doing. Thank you for all the good that's been done in this community alone through TCAR. It amazes me, Father, so I thank you. We look forward to what you have next for us, and I pray for you to change hearts and lives and push, push back the darkness in our community or wherever you send us. And I just echo it again, Father. You are so good to us. May we make the real issue the issue and care about those far from you and do whatever it takes together to reach them, to disciple people, to prepare your bride. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. designate